Thank you for that reading, Joseph, and thank you for those words of welcome that I repeat. It is great to be together again today to worship God and study from His Word and to gain strength from being together, gain strength from God's Word and spending time in worship to Him. We are coming near the end of our study on the home by God's design, and I hope that you've not been wearied by the study, but one more week after this week. We've talked about a lot of things in the positive of what God intends for the home, but this morning we want to look at a perversion of God's design of divorce. Divorce is so prevalent in our society today. It is commonplace, even a status symbol among some, to have how many divorces they've had and how many marriages they've entered into. But it wasn't long ago even in America, and those who are older in our uh, assembly this morning will verify this, that divorce was shameful, wasn't it? That if you had had a divorce, it was a shame. In fact, uh, it was uh, harmful to uh, political uh, careers. Uh, there were some, even Ronald Reagan, when he was uh, a candidate for president, it was, there was some concern that he might not be a, a potential candidate for president because he was on his second marriage and that he had a divorce. There was a stigma associated with this in times past. There's no stigma today. We need to be reminded of what God's Word says about the subject of divorce. And this morning, let's spend some time looking at this because divorce is a perversion of God's design. And as we begin this study this morning, we have to admit that this is a, an emotional subject. And emotions can many times cloud our vision of what the scriptures teach. But if we take the emotion out of the equation, if we read the scriptures at, at, what, at face value as what they say, we then must accept the truths on these matters and we cannot let emotions cloud our judgment. And as we talked in our Bible class this morning, accepting the truth isn't always easy, but that is what we have to do because God's word is truth. And it is our only guide for our life. We're going to talk about a lot of different scenarios this morning. We won't discuss all of those scenarios. What the scripture questions about any type of scenario. Let's talk about that. And let's, uh, let's discuss what the scriptures teach on this important subject. As we begin our discussion, we have to go with this foundation, foundational truth. And that is that God designed marriage to be permanent. We looked at that in the beginning of our study in this series, but it is clear that God designed marriage to be permanent. At the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, and from the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made he a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. This unity of man and wife uses the word cleave. That idea is being glued together such that those two cannot be separated without doing harm to both. They, we are glued to our wife. It is a permanent relationship. Glued to our spouse. God expects us to be a permanent relationship. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, in the passage that Joseph just read for us, Jesus says, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God joins us together when we're married. 
And Jesus says, don't put it asunder. God intends marriage to be permanent. And I want to start uh, with a graphic here now to show you some of the things that we want to talk about as we examine this marriage relationship and get our heads around what God defines as a marriage and the terms that God uses to establish this relationship. We start off here with a man. He is uh, riding along in his nice chariot, and he comes across a woman, and she, he says, boy, I'd like her to be my wife. And she says, boy, he drives a fancy chariot. I think I'd like him to be my husband. And they end up getting married. And the Scriptures use the terminology here of this union being a marriage. I'll tell you that the man and the woman aren't the only one in this equation. God's in this equation as well. It says, what for? Therefore, God hath joined together. Let not man separate. God joins the man and woman together. And the, the scriptures are going to use another term that's represented here by the letter B. It's going to use the term bound. God binds the man and the woman together in this covenant relationship that they enter into. God joins them together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, we see this term bound again to describe the, the expectation and the requirements that God has on this relationship. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Notice that the wife is bound by the law. God binds the man and woman together. Man and woman enter into that marriage relationship, but God also binds them in that relationship 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. And that union is a permanent union. Notice what it says here. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will. We're bound as long as we live. And then that the marriage vow, that marriage vow gets its root from what God established, that he expects that marriage relationship to be a permanent and lifelong one. He binds us for life. And so we have the relationship. But now what if this woman finds another man and says, you know what, I'd like to be married to him. Well, she can't unless that first husband is dead. When that first husband is dead now, they're no longer married, obviously. You can't be married to a dead man. But they're also no longer bound. God says that the, that marriage has been dissolved because 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39 says you're bound as long as you live. And so she meets another man. Could she be married? Yes, she can. And God will recognize that as a lawful marriage. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39 says. So marriage is designed to be a permanent marriage, a relationship. God binds us for life when we're married. With the, when this one spouse is dead, then we're at liberty to be married again. I'll tell you something else that's foundational and fundamental to this discussion is that God hates divorce. Malachi verse, chapter 2, verse 16 says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. God hates divorce. Jesus says, What God has joined together, let not man separate. God hates divorce. God intends marriage. God's design for the home is that marriage be a permanent institution, such that he hates divorce. Back to First Corinthians, or back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in Romans chapter 7, 
Verses 2 and 3, another passage that talks about marriage as it explains our relationship to the law. But it uses the basis and the foundation of marriage as the illustration for this. In Matthew 7, or Romans 7, verse 2, beginning, For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. We've talked about that in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. You're bound as long as your husband lives, but when he is dead, you're loosed from the law. But notice this. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. You're bound by God, Romans 7, verse 2 says. You're bound by the law by God as long as your spouse lives. And it is unlawful to divorce and marry someone else. So that if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man. She shall be called an adulteress. If she's married to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. Now let's put it back on the chart that we've been looking at with our little bubbles here. So a man meets a woman. They decide to get married in a union that God recognizes, and he binds them. And God says they're bound as long as each spouse lives. But let's say that that woman does meet another man. What is Romans? So she puts away or divorces the first man and she marries the second man. God says that she's married. She has married another man. But she's not bound to that man, is she? She's still bound in that first relationship that God has bound them together in. And she's bound by the law. She's bound by the, the covenant that she's made, by the expectation that God has. And if she marries that another man, what does it say? It says that she's an adulteress, that she's committing adultery. Now, what is the definition of adultery? Adultery is sexual intercourse, unlawful sexual intercourse between a man or a woman who's married and another person. But wait a minute. She's married to that man. No, she's not bound to that man, though, is she? She may be married in man's eyes. But she's still bound by God to that first man so that when she uh, has relationships with that new man, she's committing adultery. That's what Mark 10 verse 11 says. In Mark 10 verse 11, He that said unto them, Whosoever shall marry or shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And so we have it again. This man who's married to a woman, from the man's perspective, he meets another woman, he divorces his first woman, he marries another. What does he do? He commits adultery because he's still bound by God to that first woman. That's God's law. That's God's rules. God binds us together, and we can't separate that relationship under, and do so lawfully in God's eyes. In Mark chapter 10, Verse 12, we see it from the woman's perspective again. If a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, what does she do? She commits adultery. There it is again. The woman is married to a man. She divorces him. She's still bound by God to that first man, but she marries the, the, the second man. She is committing adultery. It's very clear from the Scriptures, isn't it? God expects marriage to be permanent. In Luke 16, verse 18, Luke 16, verse 18, this is the, for the third party in the equation. Whosoever puts away his wife and marries another committed adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. There's for that, that third party in that equation. The man who meets someone who's put away, what do they do? 
they commit adultery. And so the man who meets the woman, and the, or the woman who meets the man, if they marry someone who's been previously married to another and is still bound by God to that person, if they marry, it is adultery for both the man and the woman, the third party, in that equation. And so we see that God hates divorce. God is not pleased when divorce occurs. But, as we heard, learned in the passage that Joseph just read for us, God does allow divorce for one cause. And that is for the cause of sexual immorality, for fornication. And I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. There's one phrase in the middle of that passage, except it be for fornication. If you take that out, Matthew chapter 19 lines up with all the other verses we've looked at on this subject, doesn't it? Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Take out that one little phrase, and this lines up with everything else. It's in harmony with that. But Jesus gives one exception, except it be for fornication. Without that exception, there'd be no reason for divorce, no justifiable reason for divorce. But with this one exception, Jesus does give permission for divorce in the instance of fornication. And so we have our graphic again. And so if we have a woman who's guilty of fornication to divorce his wife, he is released from the bond of God. He's no longer bound to that woman. He could marry another woman. God would recognize that union, and he would bind those two together. But notice he has not released the first woman who is guilty of fornication from the being bound. Because if she marries another, God says that that is adultery. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Matthew 5, verse 32, But I say to you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Take out the exception phrase there again. And this lines up with the other verses that we've been looking at. Jesus gives one exception here, except for the cause of fornication. If there is fornication, if there's been an infidelity in the marriage, then we do have the right for divorce. There's only one cause for divorce. But closely associated with that, we have to also say that there's only one cause for remarriage, and only one has the right to remarry in a situation where there's been infidelity. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, And I say to you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. And so if a woman in a marriage is unfaithful, and her husband puts her away for fornication, he can marry another. But it says the person who's been, the wife who's been put away cannot remarry another. Only the person who puts away his or her spouse for fornication can remarry, is what Matthew chapter 19 verse 9 says. It also says in Matthew chapter 19 verse 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. The person who divorces his or her spouse for a reason other than fornication cannot remarry, is what this passage says. There's only one justifiable cause for divorce, and only the person who puts away the spouse for that reason is at liberty to remarry. 
And furthermore, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 says that the person who has been put away cannot remarry. Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. This is the clear teaching of Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. If fornication is a cause of divorce, the innocent party may remarry without committing adultery. But the person who has been put away cannot remarry without committing adultery. The guilty party has no right to be remarried. And I want to tell you the passage also tells us that an innocent party who's been put away for a reason other than fornication, maybe they, the other spouse just was tired of being married. Matthew chapter 19 verse 9 would say that person has no right to be remarried as well because they're still bound by God. In Luke 16 verse 18, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. There's no cause speaking here about fornication or otherwise. Jesus says that the person who's been divorced, who's been put away, has no right to remarry. Only one person in, the, in this equation has the right to be remarried, and that is the person who has put away his spouse for the cause of fornication. Well, there's a lot of confusion in the religious world about this topic, and there are a lot of false teachings about this topic, and I want to discuss a few. We can't talk about them all. There are a lot of people who try to get their emotions involved and come up with reasons that divorce might be acceptable and that remarriage might be acceptable because they don't want to accept the clear teachings that we've looked at this morning. One of those false teachings is that divorce is acceptable if there is no remarriage. This is a common teaching, a common idea, that you could divorce as long as you don't get remarried, that it'd be okay with God if you get a divorce if there is no remarriage. I spoke with an older gentleman a long time ago who had been advised by uh, a, a well-known preacher. He, had, he was a widower. I think she was a widow as well. And they were late in life, and they decided they would get married. And as soon as they got married it was apparent that she was just miserable in the relationship, and it was not a good, pleasant thing. And a wise, supposedly wise old preacher told him, well, it'd be all right if you guys got a divorce just as long as you stay unmarried. That's not what the Scriptures teach, and not in the, what the Scriptures teach at all, but yet there are people who hold to this view. I'll tell you, Malachi 2, verse 16 is there regardless of whether you marry or remarry. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And so, no, divorce is not okay as long as you don't get remarried. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6 says, What God has joined together, let not man put us under. Is God saying, hey, I'm okay with divorce as long as you don't get remarried? No, God has designed marriage to be permanent. And whether you, you remarry or not, God is not pleased with divorce. Divorce is not acceptable if there is no remarriage. There are others who are teaching that baptism fixes unlawful marriages, and it goes sort of like this. Old Bob was a real wild rounder in his day, and he was married and remarried and divorced and remarried. Time and time again, he's had more spouses than, uh, than I've got pairs of socks. And he's lived a real wild life. 
But later on in life, he decides, I need to get right with God. And he learns the truth of the gospel, and he's baptized while he's married to spouse number 37. And it's clear that he has no right to be married to spouse 37. But it's okay now because he's been baptized, and that sort of washes away the sins of his past. It does wash away the sins of his past. And one of those sins was that he's married to spouse 37, and so they can remain married today. Well, the Scriptures don't teach that. In, La in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. One of the conditions of our salvation is repentance, isn't it? I have to turn from my past life. I have to turn from my past sins. And one of those sins that I need to be willing to turn from is unlawful relationships. Because marriage is not just a one-time thing. It's not just a sin to get married to someone. It's a sin to remain married to someone that you don't have a right to. In Mark chapter 6, verse 18... In Mark chapter 6, verse 18, we've learned this principle from John the Baptist. John the Baptist taught this fact, and it ended up costing him his neck, literally. In Mark 6, not long, 6 verse 18, John, this is John the Baptist, said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Herod had married his brother's wife. And John said, you know what? That's not good. It's not good. It's not good just that you had that wedding day and she walked down the aisle and you said, I do. That was a bad day. You should repent of that. No. He said, Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her as a wife. Having her, being in that relationship is what is unlawful, what is sinful. And it cost him his neck for that. And we need to understand that if we're in a relationship that's not lawful, it is unlawful to stay in that relationship. Baptism doesn't just wipe it away because I'm living in sin continually after that. And would we say, make the same argument for someone who was engaged in a homosexual marriage? Would we say that baptism fixes that unlawful marriage, that you're in a homosexual marriage, and now that you've been baptized, it's okay for you to remain in that marriage? We wouldn't, would we? because it is unlawful to stay in a relationship that we don't have a right to. In Ezra chapter 10, in Ezra two of areas, the children of Israel had disregarded God's rules and laws in a number of areas. But one of those rules that they had been disregarding was the prohibition against taking foreign wives. In Ezra chapter 10, they learn about this prohibition, and they learn that they have been in error. And notice their reaction. Their reaction is, well, I guess we shouldn't have had that wedding day. No, the reaction is that this relationship is unlawful, and I need to get out of it. In Ezra chapter 10, beginning of verse 10, And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, you have taken, or You have trespassed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord, your, uh, Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so we must do. They were in marriages that they shouldn't have been in. And the solution wasn't just, hey, just repent and everything will be okay. Just say you're sorry. 
No repentance required to get out of that relationship. And they said, we will. And notice the extent to which they did in verse 44. All these, it lists a long list of names of people who followed and, and followed suit here and put away their strange wives. Verse 44 says, all these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. There were families here that were not what God wanted, and the solution was you need to get out of that relationship. There are even children involved in that, but the solution was get out of that relationship. This is God's instruction, not man's. It may not make sense to us all the time, but we've got to make sure that we understand that baptism doesn't fix unlawful marriages. And then finally, this morning, there are some who are teaching that remarriage is acceptable if fornication occurs after the divorce. And it goes like this. John is really tired of being married to Sue because Sue cannot bake biscuits without burning them. And he's had it up to here with the burn biscuits. And Sue is out. He's getting divorced from her. There's been no infidelity. There's been no unfaithfulness. He's just tired of being married. And so he divorces Sue and they go their separate ways. And then several years later, Sue decides that she's going to get remarried, and she remarries someone, and that obviously is fornication, right? Adultery, because we've looked at all the passages. So now she's guilty of adultery because she remarried. Well, John can't say, you know what? Now she's guilty of adultery. Now I have the right to be remarried. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 it doesn't work that way. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 says, I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Jesus says you can't get that divorce and get remarried unless you put your wife or your spouse away for the cause of fornication. This is the order that Jesus says it has to be in. They're married. There is some guilty, someone guilty of fornication. They are divorced. There's a divorce for this cause, and the innocent party is then remarried. That's the order that Jesus outlines for us in Matthew 19. He does not outline the idea that you could be married, you could get divorced for any cause, then later one could be guilty of fornication, and that would give someone then the right to be remarried. That's the importance that we need to understand here is this order, that you must be put away, you must put away your spouse for the cause of fornication if there is going to be a right for remarriage. We've just scratched the surface here. Donnie Rader, who's coming uh, to speak for us in November, has an entire book that's really good on this subject. Uh, and you can study that book, as I did in college in a Bible class for months, all the different scenarios that there are. Uh, but we need to understand God's clear teaching on the subject. If we'll be founded, grounded on that, then whatever kind of scenario someone could dream up, we can check it against that solid foundation and we can determine if it is according to God's word or if it is not. If there are any questions about what we've talked about this morning, please, let's talk about it. Let's study it together. God has designs for the family. Divorce, as prevalent as it is in our society today, is contrary to God's design and intention for the family. But I want to tell you something else. God has designs and intentions on your life, on not just your marriage, but on your entire life. God has uh, designed for that. And the question for us this morning is, are we living according to God's design in every aspect of our life? If we're not, now's the time to make correction. And if we can help with that, let us know while we stand and sing.